Good morning. See what the sunshine does? Everybody's happy and bright this morning. The snow is beautiful too, isn't it? Did you, did you look out the window last Sunday morning? It was all so wonderful. I said, O oh Lord, have mercy on me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. Psalm 41.4. Resuming the Bible study tonight at 6 o'clock. Bring your food. Choir rehearsal tonight at 5, let me check, yes, that's still on. Men's Bible study Tuesday, 10 o'clock at McLeod's, prayer meeting Wednesday at 7. New Acts and Facts are here for February. Would that make them new? They've been here a while. Okay, okay. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't a month behind in my mind. Um, annual business meeting notes that would be on this board here if you want to see that anything missing forgotten I have yes forgot please um, we we're going to have a, um, a corrections um, oh okay directory okay okay so apparently there's some uh, errors in the new directory and we're going to um, correct that with a Document. If, if you have an error, we'll have a sign up sheet here. Just fix your Okay. So, so look in the directory. If there's an error that pertains to you on, the, on, this, board, on this board, on this board, write the correction. We'll combine that and print it and we can stick it in the back of the directory. Okay. Great. Well, you might want to mention too that this bulletin is last week's bulletin. Yes. You'll, you'll note the date there. Ladies Retreat. Oh, thank you. Ladies Retreat. March 9th and 10th. Carol Trahan, so most of you have heard her before, and that will be up at uh, Jim Adelot's church in Vernon. So March 9th and 10th, Ladies Retreat. Anchor your heart. All right, thank you very much. Scripture for meditation, Psalm 41. Read Psalm 41.
Let's stand and open with prayer. Dan, will you open for us today? So remain standing. I think we'll sing, and then after the two songs, we'll have the camp report. Good morning. Take your brown hymnal this morning, your brown one, and turn to number 60, 6060 in the brown. this morning so um, and it's actually coming from behind me <laughs> um, Laura can help me with the page number 67 in the title in the the love, of love of God so uh, we were talking about uh, in Sunday school this morning we're you know working our way through um, the confession and, and um, it, it's it's so vast and, and every point and every attribute of God is, is so deep um, Jared mentioned uh, John writing about uh, that, that if everything was written down, the earth couldn't contain 
uh, the volumes of, of knowledge that it would take. And this song came to mind, and uh, the lyrics kind of explain some of that. Thank you. Scripture reading this morning is found in Matthew, the fourth chapter. We'll be reading 18 through 25. Stand, yes. Once again, Matthew 4. Verses 18 through 25, page 
1,500 in the Pew Bible. <coughs> As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. <clears throat> Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee and Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. I'd ask that the Lord bless his word. You may be seated. The camps are going to. Campers, come on up. weekend two weekends ago great weather <laughs> some snow um, I'm gonna let the kids the girls here we did have a couple guys too but they're not here today break up the, our main points into each one taking one of them good morning, good morning. Um, I also had a great time at camp I got to see a lot of people that I haven't talked to for a while it was good to see them all again had lots of fun and I really enjoyed the message this year our message this year was an acronym called ROCK solid and it talked about that foundation that you build your houses or your lives on, which in this case is Christ. You have two different foundations and it has to be one or the other, not a mix. It was either you built your house on the rock or on the sand. What does rock solid stand for? Our first acronym was R, rooted in Christ. And the passage for that was John 15, four through six. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by it itself, Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Hi. <laughs> Okay, um, I also had a great time at camp this year. This was my first year. Um, it was really fun. Um, we had a lot of fun there. We were playing games and we learned about Christ. And um, the second, sorry, I had an absence. 
So the second um, part of the ROCK is O, and that stands for God-given obstacles. Um, and the verse for that is 1 Thessalonians 2, 17 through 18. Um, but brothers, when we were torn away from you for a short time in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan stopped us. And sometimes God gives us obstacles to help us build our faith, and sometimes it's a part of his plan to stop us because sometimes it's not what he's planning on us, what we do sometimes. So again, I had a lot of fun at Winter Blast, and uh, me and Mercy had the blessing of uh, someone making um, special food for us. Um, and uh, it was really a blessing. And um, we had a lot of fun uh, playing games with each other, and I liked being reunited with my friends. The uh, third part of Rock Solid is C. Um, it stands for um, uh, commitments. Um, the passage for that is 1 Corinthians 7, 32-34. I would like you to be free from concern. And an unmarried man is concerned about the Lord affairs. How can he be, how he can be pleased, how can he please the Lord? But a married man is concerned about the affairs of, of, the, of his world. How can he please his wife? And his and, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is con concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and the spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of the world, how she can please her husband. The last point my dad spoke about at Winter Blast was K, which is stands for concerning the kingdom. The passage that goes with that is Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Um, and also, Dad spoke of things like, who is the kingdom of God for? It is for those who are poor in spirit, the persecuted of who, the persecuted righteousness, um, those who do the will of the Father, and little children. Um, another point he spoke of is, we need to build our houses in the kingdom of God. Uh, anyone who is in the kingdom of God cannot be harmed. Many are called, but few are chosen. And um, one of the, besides the Isaiah verse, he also gave the verse of the 10 virgins, and he spoke that we have to be prepared like the five wise virgins. So. I had the, uh, <clears throat> the privilege of speaking uh, this year, and uh, I'll tell you, it's, uh, it's tough. Uh, knowing that you got to speak every couple hours and make sure things are, are working well, and 
God gave me just enough time. I had been preparing for it for a while beforehand, but got there and uh, still had to get some things taken care of. I was thankful um, that God answered our prayer for not any major injuries. We had a few scuffles that happened, and we're thankful for that. When you're sledding and on the ice and that kind of stuff, things can go bad. Horse riding, horseback riding and such, uh, God was very gracious to us. Our staff uh, that was running the camp for us were fantastic. As uh, Lydia mentioned, we had a, a chef there that catered to the very restrictive diets of uh, some of our campers there, and we, we as parents, <laughs> were very thankful uh, for that God-given gift uh, for camp because that's something that concerns us about the health of our kids there and having to step out of their diet and such. He made things special for them every meal, and it was just a, a tremendous blessing. Uh, so continued prayer for the ministry of the camp. Uh, we had some that by providence couldn't be there. We had a rough start uh, cleaning up messes and things as we had a camper got sick as soon as he walked in the door, um, and things like that happened, things to distract us, uh, things to keep us off, off uh, the focus, but God was gracious as always, and we're praying that he continues to bless uh, the seeds planted there, and we turn our attention towards the summer camp. So that's all? Okay. Okay. All right, that's what we have for you today. I guess so we're singing again. And please stand and grab your Trinity, Red Trinity hymnal, and turn to number 257, 257 in your Red hymnal. 257, 257.
Our scripture text this morning is found in Matthew 4. Matthew 4. Boy, it's been a winter, hasn't it? I missed you all last week, and we're finally here today. This is great. The sun is shining. Foreboding maybe better things for us. Sooner spring, hopefully sooner than later. And uh, I hear it's supposed to rain. Is that right? I mean, it's supposed to get a lot of rain. Well, that'll take care of the snow and change things quite a bit. We're in a series called Believers Under Trial, and in our last study, we consider the theme, the hurt of natural life changes. Things that come into everyone's life from the standpoint that we are human beings living in a fallen world that is cursed by God. We listed a number of losses that contribute to our hurt. Number one, the loss of optimism from a bright future. In other words, we lose our dream. You ever had a dream and lose your dream? We discovered a difference between a person of the world fighting to overcome a handicap and the believer fighting the same. As believers, we do all that we do for the glory of God, to bring Him glory. We know there's no such thing as an accident in a world controlled by a sovereign God. The world uses the word accident to indicate happenstance. An unplanned event. But there is a planner. That's the point we were bringing out. And the planner is God Almighty. And he rules over the good and over the calamities that come into our life. You know, theologically, in the first part of the 19th century, they came up with the idea of a dual deism. So you had a good God and everything that happened that was great and gracious That was attributed to the good God, and then there was this bad God. Everything that was wicked and evil was attributed to the bad God. Well, the Bible doesn't teach any such thing. God is controlling all things, good or bad, and in order to to be God, he would have to have that kind of authority. We talked about the loss of financial solvency. Yes, we're to work and earn a living. Yes, we are to save for the rainy day in retirement, but we are not to put our hope or confidence in these things. Our rock is Christ. He is our sure foundation. Because you can lose it all in the stock market. Your bank can go bankrupt. We talked as well about the loss of the strength of our youth and the onset of old age. We don't like to think about that, but it's all happening to us. We learn that God is with us from the cradle to the grave. We have never, never been alone. Never been alone. And that's due to the tenacious love of God. The songwriter says, O love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul on thee. And I might say that this is unconditional love. It's never based upon your performance. It's not based upon your obedience, but solely on God's grace. And we concluded our study by discussing the glory of God's unfailing love. Number one, once God, child through faith, you're never disowned, even because of your sin. 
And secondly, nothing else in all creations, including devils and demons, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing can ever separate us. It wasn't based on our obedience. And it's not going to be taken away from us for our disobedience. Well, today's study calls our attention to the theme, the hurt of illness. We're looking at the various trials that believers go through in this cursed world. So as we come, let's ask for the blessing of our Lord. Our Father, send your spirit to enable us to understand the hurt of illness and to understand it in a biblical sense, not just in the complaining sense, which seems to be part of our motif lots of times, but help us to look through the hurt, past the hurt, to the God behind it, to be able to see what you're trying to teach us and how you're trying to bring sanctification into our lives to make us more like Jesus who certainly knew a lot about hurt and pain. Pray that you will bless our study, and in the end, that God will be glorified and will be helped, will be strengthened. Be with any unbeliever today. Let not the hurts that they are experiencing make them curse God. No, may they trust in God to relieve those hurts, especially the hurt of sin, and bring them to know you in saving grace today. This we pray for our good and your glory. Amen. We're looking today at the hurt of illness. And my, haven't we had a winner of illness as a little church? I don't think we're alone in that. I think everywhere in our community, people have just been suffering from all kinds of sickness. Sickness of body and mind is part of the cursed world in which we live. You're not going to escape it. And there's no place you can go, not the Bahamas, not the Caribbean, there's no place you can go to get away from the hurt associated with the cursed world. One aspect of illness, a very more important aspect, is that of pain. And it is found in God's curse of Eve for her sin, Genesis 3, verse 16. To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbirth. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be to your husband and he will rule over you. Now we wouldn't classify having a baby as an illness. But the pain associated with it is linked to many illnesses surgeries, and the like. I suspect that Eve would not have experienced any pain in giving birth to Cain or Abel had there been no disobedience to God's command. I do not think that Adam and Eve in Eden in their garden paradise, I do not think that they suffered from headaches or backaches or arthritis or muscle spasms or any other painful anomaly that plagues us today. Nor did they have to worry about diabetes and cancer and heart attacks and digestive disorders, dementia or Alzheimer's disease, or even the dreaded leprosy disease of Bible times. None of that. Pain and illness are 
consequences of man's fall into sin and one of the promises of life eternal in the new heaven and the new earth which God has pledged as part of eternity is this. Let me read it for you from Revelation 21. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth have passed away, and there they were no longer. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a beautiful bride dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Revelation 21, the first five verses. But that is there, and then it's, it's not here and now. Immediately after the curse of God upon Adam and Eve, they were expelled from Eden and barred from eating of the tree of life, lest they live forever in a sinful and unrepentant state. And even so, it took many years for the curse of death to realize its full potential. That's why the early ancestors lived so very, very long. Altogether, I'm reading scripture, altogether Adam lived 930 years and then he died. 930 years. Seth, his son, lived 912 years and he died. Again, altogether Noah lived 950 years and he died. Altogether, Methuselah lived 969 years and he died. All of these from chapter 5 of the book of Genesis. Now these extraordinary lifespans, which almost, almost reached a millennium of time, came from God who in so doing warded off the full consequences of the curse of death and allowed time for the human race to procreate and expand. I was reading in the uh, obituary Columns of our paper of a 95-year-old man. And they said he died of old age. Old age. Well, pretty relative term when you read things like I've just read from the scriptures. I think for our generation, that's probably true. Age 95. Died of old age. My dad died at age 100. And... Uh, we consider that a ripe old age. I remember talking to my great-grandfather who died in his 90s. And I enjoyed his stories of the past, of all the changes that he had witnessed in his life. Things like um, the invention of the radio, uh, the automobile, electricity. There was a time, you know, when people um, illuminated their homes with uh, kerosene lamps. What changes might Adam or Noah or even Methuselah have seen 
after living for more than nine centuries. You know, the Roman Empire only lasted a thousand centuries. Think of that. Well, one very disturbing change was the onset of such wickedness in human hearts that God determined to wipe out the entire human race in the great flood. And then begin anew with Noah and his family, and you know the account. But after the flood, the human lifespan dropped by more than half those years, and it kept dropping until we read, and I'm reading from the scripture now, the length of our days is 70 years, or 80, if we have the strength. Yet their span is but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. Psalm 90, verse 10, written by Moses. I don't know if you knew that Moses wrote a psalm, but he did. It's in our book of Psalms. We read in Deuteronomy, Moses was 120 years old when he died. Yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. I think that was a special dispensation by God for Moses. That when he died, he was just as healthy as ever. That being said, yet Moses rightly concluded, all our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Psalm 90, verse 9 and following. And then he expands the thought saying this, Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us. Isn't that an interesting way to put it? Make us glad for, let's, let's equal it out, Lord. For as many days as you have afflicted us, uh, how about making us that many days glad? For as many years as we have been troubled. May your deeds be shown to your servant, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands. And I think in all this, Moses is exhorting us to thank God for life itself. The work we have been able to accomplish, even if there have been days of affliction, and even if there have been years of trouble. And we finish our years with a moan, as he said. Verse 14, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Years ago when Al was with us and would join us on Wednesday night in the men's prayer time when we break for prayer, he would pray something like this. Lord, I praise you for good health. But if you, give, if you give me poor health, I'll praise you for that too. That's the way I used to pray. I think that echoes Moses' thoughts in Psalm 90. Sickness of body and mind, that's part of our cursed world. But God is still there in both. Secondly, and most importantly, God intervenes in our sicknesses to bring healing and restoration. 
If we're to glorify God for all our days, that will mean the sick days too. But that being said, we are not to forget those times of refreshment spoken by David in Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my own inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. And then he lists. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5. Save for both. We praise God for his good. We praise for God for the bad things that come into our life. There isn't a person here this morning who has not experienced some form of severe illness over which God in his mercy has intervened to bring about healing. Now, we might think it's strange that God cursed humanity with pain and illness because of sin, and then he steps in to alleviate the pain and heal the disease that plagues us. You would scratch your head over that one, but it's part of his salvation. You see, sickness is associated with sin. It might be your personal sin, as though God were disciplining you, or it might be just sin in general, the fact that we live in a sinful world. Think about it. There would be no illness if it were not for sin. That is why so many scriptures make the connection between sin and sickness. Scriptures connect them together. Listen to David's agony when he sinned with Bathsheba. He wrote, blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, listen how he describes this. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I didn't cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Psalm 32, verses 2 through 5. Now you'll note from the text, this misery that David experienced was not just mental, it was physical. And he recognized it to be connected with his sin. Again, another psalm of David. This time it's stated as to being a petition of the Lord. And here's how it reads. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have pierced me, and your hand has come down upon me. Because of your wrath, there's no health in my body. My bones have no soundness because of my sin. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and are loathsome because of my sinful folly. I'm bowed down, I'm brought very low, and all day long I go about mourning. My back is filled with searing pain. 
There's no health in my body. I groan in anguish of heart. All my longings lie open before you, O Lord. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart pounds. My strength fails me. Even the light has gone from my eyes. My friends and companions avoid me because of my wounds. My neighbors stay far away. I'm like a deaf man who cannot hear. Like a mute who cannot open his mouth. I have become like a man who does not hear, whose mouth can offer no reply. I wait for you, O Lord. You will answer, O Lord, my God. Psalm 38, I read all 15 verses. Couldn't leave one of them aside. What is this psalm saying? He's telling us, David is telling us, that he is very, very ill. He is so sick that none of his faculties seem to be working. His heart, his ears, his eyes, his speech... And he says it's because of sinful folly and his friends don't even want to be around him. That's how sick and miserable he is. In Psalm 41, our meditation reading for this morning, David talks about his enemies gloating over his illness. Saying, blessed is he who has regard for the weak. The Lord delivers him in times of trouble. The Lord will protect him and preserve his life. He will bless him in the land and not surrender him to the desire of his foes. The Lord will sustain him on his sickbed and restore him from his bed of illness. And I said, O Lord, have mercy on me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. Psalm 41, the first four verses. Now I say all this, brethren, from this comes from Israel's most godly king. Yet he willingly and without equivocation links his times of illness with sin in his life. When we come to the new covenant, we again see the connection that God makes between sickness and sin. This became an issue one day when a group of men brought their sick friend to be healed by Jesus. But the crowd surrounding the house was so dense, they couldn't get in. So, not to be undone, they proceeded to the flat roof. They removed the tiles, can believe this, the tiles of the roof, and they lowered their friend through a hole right down in front of Jesus. We read, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins, now listen, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there and they were thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He blasphemes. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts and he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say to him, get up, take your mat, and walk? 
but that you may know that the Son of Man does have authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, go home. And he got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like that. Mark chapter 2, verses 5 and following. Well, the lesson here from Jesus to the Pharisees was that there was a connection between this man's paralysis and sin. And they needed to understand that. John 5, the paralytic, lying by the pool of Bethsaida, suffered so for 38 years of his life, till Jesus passed by and commanded him, pick up your mat and walk. Then Jesus slipped into the crowd. The Pharisees condemned the healing for having been done on the Sabbath. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you're well again. Stop sinning or something worse will happen to you. James 5 verse 14. The connection again between sin and sickness. When the Corinthians profaned the Lord's table, Paul wrote to them, This is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. That is to say, you have died. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 30. James wrote it this way, And the prayers offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. And if he has sinned, he will be forgiven. James 5, verse 15. Now, in reading all this, brethren, this is way too much evidence to be coincidence. God is laying out for us that sickness is related to sin, even in godly men like David. So what I'm saying is this is therefore the first inquiry we should make when we are seriously ill. Lord, forgive me. Lord, heal me. They go together. And they go together even when you cannot put your finger on a specific sin. We live in a body that is fraught with sinful thoughts. We live in a world that's filled with sinful deeds. So we ought not to be timid in making this connection. I would just issue this caution, and that is make the connection for yourself, but do not prejudge others. A very important point. Job's friends didn't do this. They kept attributing the things that he was going through to sin. But it had nothing to do with the trials that he endured from Satan. Again in John 9, Jesus and his disciples came upon a man born blind. And his disciples asked, Rabbi, uh, uh, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? I say good for them. 
Good for them that they at least considered the possibility that this man's blindness was connected to sin. Their error was that that was the only scenario they considered. So Jesus straightened them out. He said, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Remember, they, Jesus put clay on his eyes and told him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. He came back seeing. So don't jump to conclusions about the sickness of others in some sin. Paul was never healed of his thorn in the flesh. And there are believers whose whole life of illness is a testimony to the sustaining grace of God. But do consider the possibility of the connection between your own illnesses and sin. You can never go wrong to pray David's prayer, which is this. O Lord, have mercy on me, heal me, for I have sinned against you. Psalm 41, verse 4. It's a good prayer to pray, no matter what. Now note, secondly, God's grace and how it's magnified. The death of Christ is the basis for sins forgiven and a new nature. All that ails men and society is related to sin and God's curse upon the creation because of rebellion to his law. Paul writes it this way, The creation waits in eager expectation. For the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from the bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly, there's a mental anguish that's going on, as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, that is the redemption of our bodies. Romans 8 verse 19 and following. In other words, the entrance of sin into our world was not a little you know, insignificant matter. No, it was a stupendously horrific matter. It's ruined the environment. It has ruined the human race. Creation groans. The human race groans under the weight of God's curse. Sin did this. And it was not a mistake. It was not being human. It's not an error in judgment. But it was a bold-faced, deliberate defiance to God's specific and deliberate rule of conduct. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Man could not, think about this, man could not keep one commandment, <laughs> let alone ten commandments. But my point is he didn't slip and fall. <laughs> It was deliberate defiance. Deliberate defiance. Adam and Eve opted to believe Satan the liar over the word of their creator and Lord. 
And that was a free will choice, and they chose wrongly. So the sinless became sinners. Sinners. Now we, on this side of the whole thing, we have no such choice. We are born sinners. Having inherited Adam's fallen nature, not his sinless nature. The race descended from fallen Adam, not sinless Adam. Let me read it for you, Romans 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, in this way, death came to all men. Because all sin, Romans 5, 12, we all sinned in Adam. Now think about this. No one can live beyond or independent of what they are by nature. Since our nature is fallen, our thoughts, our behavior, they're also fallen. Wish it weren't so, but that's the way it is for all of us. This is why we cannot save ourselves through human endeavors. You ever think about that? Paul put it this way, those who live according to the sinful nature, that's all of us, have their minds set on what that nature desires. <laughs> yeah, of course. We think and we act. And it's based upon the bent of who we are. He goes on, the mind of sinful man is death. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Romans 8 verse 5 and following. Somehow then, I mean, we have to get a new, a new nature we have to get a new way of thinking. How is that possible? Well, first and foremost, we have to be forgiven of our sin. How can sinners be forgiven? The answer given by most, well, we, we have to turn from our evil and do good. Really? How does a sinner by nature turn from evil? How can his thinking and his behavior be labeled as good? When God's indictment on all humanity is this, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Romans 3, verse 10 through 12. Oh, wow, we're in trouble. My grandma used to come up with these pithy little doodads. She was a, certainly a committed believer. But one of her pithy little doodads was this. You can't make a silk purse out of a sow's ear. To me as a kid, I thought, what is she saying? You can't make a silk purse out of a sow's ear. Well, you can only produce something compatible with the raw material that you're working with. That's what she was saying. If you're working with silk fibers, then you can make a silk purse. But nothing silky smooth and beautiful will originate from a pig's ear. Any farmers in the group that has ever touched a pig's ear? It's like a wire brush. <laughs> 
bore bristles. You ever hear of those? They're not smooth and silky. So that was her point. So God does, make, does not make saints out of sinners in this sense. I'm reading from Revelation 21 about heaven. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Revelation 21, 27. Nothing impure. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, then we are in trouble. Nothing impure. We're all doomed. And in our natural sinful state, yes, that's true, but the glory of the cross is this. Let me read it for you. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires, Galatians 5, verse 24. Well, if the sinful nature has been crucified, how then do I live? Paul goes on, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2, verse 20. Oh, that's how I live. Now, this is not a saint made from a sinner, but as Paul states, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. And it's the cross of Jesus that has made this possible. Let me read it for you. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Writes Peter. 1 Peter 2 verse 24. This was predicted by Isaiah. Isaiah wrote, He poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Isaiah 53, verse 12. Notice the sin of many, not all. It is grace that writes your name in the Lamb's book of life not your supposed good works. And it was done before the creation of the world, before you had any opportunity to do any good works. Wow, we're talking some deep stuff here. So then, secondly, the death of Christ is the basis of healing for body and mind. We saw this in David's repeated connection of sin to sickness. Sickness being the symptom of sin. Isaiah says of the coming servant of Jehovah, Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. The Hebrew word here in Isaiah 53.4 for infirmities is the Hebrew word for diseases. The Hebrew word for sorrows or grief is the thing that causes us mental pain, distress. 
In charismatic circles, they teach that anyone and everyone is entitled to the healing of God. All they have to do is believe, and you'll always be healed. But not everybody is healed. Death comes to all eventually. God's healing has to do with his grace. Isaiah's text is limited, both as to the atonement for sin and who it is that is designated our in verse 4, our infirmities, our sorrows. Okay, note verse 5, Isaiah 53. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Isaiah 53, 5, I quoted that earlier. Peter applies this to believers only, 1 Peter 2, verse 24. And then in verse 8 of Isaiah 53, for the transgression of my people he was stricken. Verse 11, by his knowledge my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Or again, verse 12, he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. None of this precludes the use of medicine or surgeries and the like to address your ailments, but it does indicate that Jesus died not only to atone for sin, but to remedy the consequences of sin, of which disease and physical impairments are part. And by I say, this is why we pray for the sick. This is why we do. This is why our faith should not be simply in medicine or medical procedures, but in God. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, says David, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Psalm 103, verse 2 and 3. How many times have you heard of a surgical procedure that was expertly performed, but the patient still died? happens all the time. It happens because the healing of the body is God's work. And it's the promised blessing of the redeemed. Maybe, just maybe, uh, we ought not to be so heavily dependent on chemical medicines. Take to heart God's gifts in creation. In Ezekiel 47, verse 12, it talks about the leaves of the trees being for our healing. Do you know that a lot of our medicines come from the natural creation? Oh, yeah, I know. Big pharma goes into the jungles, and they figure these things out, and they synthesize something that's found in creation so they can charge you $300 an ounce instead of pennies on the dollar. Better yet is the combination of Jesus' ministry. Listen, here's what it says. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom. There you are. There's the remedy for sin. And healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria. 
And people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, the paralytics, and he healed them. What a wonderful combination. Preaching the good news of the king, and that's the remedy for sin, and healing their bodies, their ailments. Are you sick of sin? Sick in body? Jesus' grace is the answer to both. Say, well, pastor, I prayed for my sickness for a long time. I have this uh, chronic condition, and it doesn't seem to go away. Well, you're in good company. You are. The Apostle Paul says, three times, Lord, how many times? Three times I have come before the throne of grace and I've asked you to remove this thorn in my flesh. And each time you say, no, no, no. Each time you say, my grace is sufficient for you. Therefore, okay, therefore, I will glory in my weakness. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So what's he talking about? He's saying that he experienced the strength of God's grace in his life through this chronic condition of illness, which would otherwise have eluded him. Three times I've asked you, three times you said no, 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 and I'm trying to figure this out. Oh, oh, it's what you said that uh, your grace is glorified through weakness. Oh, oh, then I can be happy about this. I can see beyond the present circumstance to what God is doing firstly for his own glory and for our good. It's the way God works. We don't always see it that way, but we ought to see it that way and we ought to strive to see it that way that we might have peace of heart. Thank you, Lord, for your word. I also thank you for the challenge of your word. Yeah, the first thing we do when we're sick, I know, I do it too. We reach for the uh, bottle of aspirin. If it's more serious, we go see a doctor and get the antibiotic. If it's more serious than that, we schedule our surgery. No one likes pain and suffering. But even with that, all said and done, sometimes all we do is open a can of worms and we just go from bad to worse. And we have to learn how to live with our maladies despite all of our efforts. Sometimes in our prayers, you say no, no, no. But in saying no, the scripture tells us that we will not be tried beyond what we can bear, but God, along with the trial, will provide a way of escape so that we can bear up under it. And we're blessed for that. We are blessed in that. And I hope we will see that this morning. Maybe in coming through such experiences, we might be able to help others who are struggling and maybe they, they just can't get it. They can't see it. 
how God is honored in that, and how this could possibly turn out for their good. Please open their eyes. This day we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to change the closing hymn to 436 in the brown hymnal, 436. Four hundred thirty six in the brown hymnal. Let me just remind you of um, our Bible study tonight. We meet in the basement at six o'clock. We bring finger foods, which is whatever you want to bring. We have a light luncheon and then we have a discussion type study. Tonight we're going to look at Peter's Denial. We're actually going to look at the life of Peter and see if we can't see a mirrored image of ourselves. 436 in the brown. Let's stand.
and amen. Christ is the only one that can wash us and make us whiter than snow. Can't do it by your own self-righteousness, that's for sure. Well, I remind you that tonight at 6 o'clock, we have a study in the basement. We are studying through the Gospel of John. We're up to chapter 18. We're in the garden, and he's being arrested by the authorities. And we have the action of Peter that we're going to look at tonight. So be there at 6 o'clock and join us for the time of discussion. And I also would like to meet with the deacons this morning shortly after morning worship. Thank you.